You're listening to the Cornerstone Word of Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. For more information on our church, please visit cwol.org. I want to talk to you this morning about your God-given purpose. Now, this is a message that hits every single one of us because no matter how old you are, how young you are, you have a purpose, and that purpose was given to you by God. He's had a plan for your life all along. Somebody say amen. Amen. And it doesn't matter what obstacles have come up. It doesn't matter what speed bumps have come up. It doesn't matter what trials and tribulations have come up in your life. His purpose remains. Amen. Amen. And so God has some things that he wants us to do. I want to look at this. Our purpose, understand, it comes from our creator, and he's called us to do great things. And so we have to be sure we know where our purpose comes from. In Jeremiah 1.5, he said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. We see that Jeremiah was appointed as a prophet to the nations. He was called from his mother's womb. But guess what? Just like Jeremiah was set apart, you've been set apart. You are a holy nation chosen by God. Over in uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, out of the NIV, this is the Apostle Paul saying, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Among my people, I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, someone say, but God. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. The Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I've made some mistakes. I've done some things wrong that could have corrupted and made my purpose void, but God. I believe some of us in this room can identify with the Apostle Paul has made because some of us have probably made a mistake or two along this journey. Can I get a witness this morning? But God is telling you this morning, no matter what you've done right, no matter what you've done wrong, my purpose remains. What he's called you to, he's not withholding it from you, but he's ready to give it to you. He wants you to walk in it and he wants his purpose for your life to be fulfilled in the earth today. Can I get a witness? Luke chapter 1, verse 30 through 33 out of the Baron Study Bible. It says, So the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never And this is good news. Just as God gave Jeremiah purpose, just as God gave the Apostle Paul purpose, just as God gave Jesus Christ a purpose, even before his mother's womb, God has given you purpose. The devil loves to try to come and steal our purpose. We can look at all of their lives. Jeremiah went through things. Uh, Apostle Paul went through things. We know Jesus went through things. He was tempted and he was tried around every corner, not only by the religious folks, but by the enemy himself. And they had to overcome some things to ensure that they fulfilled God's purpose. His purpose is alive in you. It's not dead. Now listen to this. Your purpose doesn't come from a career. Your purpose doesn't come from your spouse. Your purpose doesn't come from friends. Our purpose comes from God, the one who shaped us. Do you know you were made on purpose? 
You know, God doesn't do any accidents. There's a reason you're here. He created you with purpose. And the sooner we understand that, the quicker we can get about fulfilling his purpose in our lives. We can't run away from God's purpose. We must run towards it. We must understand that every single one of us, young or old or anywhere in between, we have a purpose that was given to us by God. Someone say amen. Amen. And the whole point of this morning's message is to reinforce to you that you have a purpose and that God wants you to fulfill that purpose. Go over, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 45. Page 563. Just to help somebody out in case you can't find it. Another good way to find it is Isaiah is just about in the middle of the Bible. You can open up your Bible right to the middle and Isaiah is there. But here in chapter 45, we're going to start in verse 8 out of the New Living Translation. It says, open up, O heavens, and pour out your righteousness. Let the earth open wide so salvation and righteousness can sprout up together. I, the Lord, created them. Destruction is certain for those who argue with their creator. Does a clay pot ever argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it? Saying, stop, you are doing it wrong. Does the, spot, does the pot exclaim? Now we could stop so much. I'm trying to push through and just read it because I want to stop and just preach on every single one of these, but we've got to get to something. Does the spot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to his father or mother, why was I born? Why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord, the creator and the Holy One of Israel says. Do you question what I do? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? Now, as we read this, just take it all in. There's a lot of people that have been complaining to God about their pot and the way that they've been made. And complaining about our pot and the way we are made will keep us from our purpose. I want you to take a step back and think about who you are and how you were created. And I want you to complicate just this this singular idea. Maybe there's a reason or a purpose God made you the way he made you. We ought not be upset about it, but instead we ought to agree with it because he made us with purpose. I love to use my wife in this example. I've never asked her if she's okay with me using her. I just do it and just uh, pray that she's all right. But if you know my boo, Rachel, she is just a little boo. She's, she's like four feet nothing. She's small. And being short is one thing that she's always been frustrated and despised about herself. But yet God made her that way. She doesn't like it because when she goes to the store, she can't reach things on the top shelf. She comes home from Kroger with a list every time of things I have to go back and get. Because not only is she a short boo, she's a stubborn boo. And so she don't ask people for help. (laughs) You know, there's been times at the store where I've had to yell at her because she's trying to throw something at the top shelf to knock it off. I'm like, I will get it, sweetheart. You know, when we come to the house, I tell her all the time, if you need, she'll be climbing on the counter. (laughs) Like, girl, get off the counter. (laughs) You know, your husband's almost six feet. I can get it. Just ask. So she's a short boo and she's a stubborn boo. But she's always hated being short. But listen to this. One thing I believed God for was a spouse that was short. See, there's purpose to the way God made you. 
See, I always wanted my wife to be able to wear four inch heels and still be shorter to me. Mm-hmm. We're getting real now, aren't we? Ladies, the dudes love the heels. I'm just telling you. And I didn't want her to be six feet without heels. And then she puts on four you know, inch heels. And then I'm like, oh, dang, boo, you up there. But it's impressive how God designed her and created her and shaped her and made her a way. And the way he made her is exactly what I desired in a spouse. See, there's purpose to how he shaped you. There's purpose to how he crafted your DNA code. Oh, I could really go on tangents here. There's purpose. Hmm. You know, you never want to say things to offend, but we have to understand what the devil's doing right now. He's trying to get people away from their purpose. You know, Rachel was called from her mother's womb to be a mother. Just like I was called from my mother's womb to be a father. And if I go about changing things in my life to get away from that purpose. Then my purpose can't be fulfilled. And so we can't argue with the potter about how he makes the pot. You can't argue with God about the way that he made you. It will keep you from your purpose. Amen. Over in Ephesians 2, I love this. He says, for you are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things. See, he's got good things for you. He's got good plans for you. And those good things are connected to your purpose that was given to you by your creator. God has stepped back just like he did in the beginning when he shaped man and woman at the very beginning. And he stepped back and what did he say? It is good. I love that so much. You need to start looking at yourself. When you look in the mirror as God's creation, his masterpiece, start telling yourself, it is good. You don't need to change your height. Now we can do all sorts of crazy things with our hair, you know what I mean? But you don't, you are good. God doesn't make mistakes. He makes masterpieces. Hallelujah. Not only does he make masterpieces, he took time to shape you and form you and craft you and build you with his very own hands. Don't be frustrated about it. Be satisfied with it. And as we're satisfied with it, we can grow into the purposes he has for our life. And as we grow in the purposes he has for our life, listen to me. When you begin agreeing with God's purpose for your life, now you're giving them the ability to bring his purpose to pass in your life. He can't bring his purpose to pass in your life if you're constantly fighting against it. If you're disagreeing with it. If you're arguing with God about it. Someone said that's good preaching. Psalms 57 verse 2 out of the Baron Study Bible says, cry out, I cry out to God most high. To God who fulfills his purpose for me. Come on, let's begin to agree with his purpose for our lives so he can fulfill it. Let's begin agreeing with what he's called us unto so he can begin to fulfill it. Psalms 138.8 says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. O Lord, your love and devotion endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. You are the works of his hands. 
Pastor Rhonda explains it this way, and Pastor said it a couple weeks ago. When God made you, he got his hands dirty. He went down in the clay, and he shaped you, and he formed you. And then I love this. The Bible says he breathed the breath of God into them. When he breathed into us, he imparted part of himself into us. What does that mean? He's invested in you. He's invested in your purpose. He loves you. He wants to take care of you. He wants to fulfill these purposes. We have to understand that whatever he's called, this is so good, whatever he's called us to, he's already put the ability to do it within you. He doesn't give you a purpose and then say, you can't do that. No, he doesn't abandon the works of his hand. He's put it in you and he's saying, you can do it. We thought about that scripture. I can do all things. Not some things, not a few things. I can do all things. Whatever your purpose is, you can do it. Someone say, I can do it. Why can we do it? Because he doesn't abandon the works of his hands. He'll be with you every step of the way. Philippians 1, 6 out of New Living Translation says, And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you. When did he begin this? He began this before you were even born. And I'm certain he who is, called, who is called the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus comes. And so we understand that God made us with purpose. You're not here by accident. You have an assignment. You have purpose or purposes, and God needs them to be fulfilled in the earth today. Can I get a witness? Amen. So real quick, I want to look at a couple things that we can do to bring God's purposes to pass in our life and in the world we look at, live in. And I believe as we look at the life of Jesus, we can take a few key things that he did. And if we will duplicate these in our lives, we too will fulfill God's purpose. Go with me over to John 18. Woo, tell yourself I'm glad I came to church this morning. Mm, praise God. So we'll start in verse four. Jesus fully realized what was going to happen to him. So let's just paint a picture as briefly as we can what's going on. We know that they've come to take Jesus, to imprison him, to take him captive, and to crucify him. The cross is right there. And Jesus is understanding what's going on. And, and it explains in one translation that a band of men have come to get him at this moment. A band of men is described to us anywhere between 800 to 1,000 men. And they were armed to the teeth. They had deer antlers. <laughs> They had torches, they had swords, they had knives, and they had numbers. And they came to get Jesus in this moment. And they approached Jesus in order for us to fulfill our purpose. One of the things we notice in the life of Jesus is he was secure in who he was. And this must be true to us. Jesus identified himself correctly. If you are going to make a difference and fulfill God's purpose in this world, you must identify yourself correctly. And your identity can't be whatever you choose it to be. God has already spoken it. God has already given it. Even with Jesus, we just read in Luke, before he was in Mary's womb, God had a plan. God had a purpose. God ID'd him. He said, you will call him Jesus. And he will be the Messiah. And he will be, his kingdom will live forever. See, God gave him an identity just like he gave you an identity. And we must agree and identify ourselves correctly. See, there's this move in society all around the world where everybody is saying identity is fluid. What does that mean? You can be whatever you want to be. 
That's simply not true. It's not true according to the word of God, and it's not true for you. He's predestined you. He's called you. You are a chosen people. He put things on the inside of you that he desires for them to come past. And if you're confused about who you are, it'll never come to pass. Well, how do I get rid of this confusion? You get in his word. You look into this mirror. And it shows you who you are and who you're supposed to come. You allow God's word that he spoke, not only the written word, but the spoken word. You allow the word God has spoken about you to define you, to identify you. And when you grab onto that, then the pressures of this world will never be able to change it. Here in this moment, Jesus has extreme societal pressure. There's a thousand men armed to the teeth coming to get him. And if there was a moment in time where he could have backed off of his identity, it would have been right now. I want to read this definition to you real quick, the definition of fluid. A substance that has no fixed shape and yields easily to external pressure. Your identity is this tangible substance that God has given you. And when we're not secure in our identity, it becomes this substance that has no fixed shape and yields easily to external pressure. There was immense external pressure coming at Jesus right here in this moment. The pressure of weapons, the pressure of society, the pressure of people. And it was all coming, not even to mention just before this, the pressure of the cross. Where he's so vexed that he's bleeding Sweating out great drops of blood. But yet, he was secure in who he was. Now look at what he says. Jesus fully realized what was going on and was going to happen to him. Stepping forward to meet them, he asked, whom are you looking for? Verse 5, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he. Jesus said, Jesus was standing there with them when Jesus identified himself. And as he said, I am he, they fell backward to the ground. Once more, he asked them, who are you looking for? There's so many things I love about this. One thing that I take away from this is there's power in knowing who you are. The second thing I take away from this is when you know who you are, Jesus told them with this simple statement, I am he. He told them, you're not in charge of my life. Amen. All this external pressure doesn't get to decide who I am. All this external pressure doesn't get to choose who I'm going to be. God's already spoken it. God's already declared it. I agree with it. I am he. And since he was secure and he identified himself correctly, then the world could not control him and the world could not determine his purpose. It gave God the ability to determine his purpose. Glory to God. Someone say, I identify correctly. Over in John 14, 6, 7, Jesus answered and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was always identifying himself correctly. He was always identifying himself the way that God said him. You go over to John 1 where it says he was the word in the beginning. He was the word made flesh and he dwelt among us. He said he was the light of life and the darkness could not extinguish it. See, darkness was never able to overcome Jesus Christ who was the light of life because he knew his purpose and he knew who he was. In this time we're living in, you must identify yourself correctly. If you won't identify yourself, then the world will. 
And along with their ability to identify you, you lose your God-given purpose. Someone say, praise the Lord. The next thing Jesus did, now this one is key. After he identified himself, and these aren't in any kind of order, they're just going to help us. Jesus fellowshiped with his heavenly Father. Now think about that. Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, walked in power and displayed it everywhere he went, but yet he fellowshiped with his Creator. He fellowshiped with his heavenly Father. Over in Mark 1, 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. What is prayer? It's fellowship. It's communication. It is him communicating with his heavenly Father. If you're going to fulfill the purpose of God on your life, you must have continual fellowship with the one who made you. Luke 5, 15 through 16, out of the Baron Study Bible, it says, But the news about Jesus spread all the more. And great crowds came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. So this is something that's just kind of jumping out at me right now as we're preaching it. But it's amazing as he identified himself correctly and as he fellowship with God, the Father, it began to bless others to where they wanted to be around him. They came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. Verse 16. Yet he frequently, someone say frequently. Yet he frequently withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Some translations say that he often went away to pray. Jesus continually fed the relationship between him and the one that gave him his purpose. We need to be busy fellowshipping with our Father. You know, there's a lot of Christians that don't fellowship at all with God. That's not a place to be quiet. <laughs> There's a lot of Christians that never fellowship with their Lord. Right? And since they never fellowship with him, their life is void of the power that he can provide. Because your fellowship with God is a direct representation of how much power of God you have in your life. Did you know you can even come to church? I know no one's ever done this, just me. You can even come to church and not fellowship with him. I know none of you have ever done this, but when Pastor Mark's up preaching, hey, Pastor, if you're watching, hallelujah, and you're just waiting for him to get done. Just me? That's never happened, Pastor. I'm always... <laughs> I'm with you! <laughs> but there's been times I've showed up on a Sunday morning and I even failed at church to fellowship with him. I'm thinking about other things. I'm focused on this or I'm focused on that. And I miss an opportunity that has been provided for me to fellowship with my creator, to reinforce his purpose in my life, to reinforce the strength I need in my life to walk out his purpose. I have this opportunity to fellowship with him, to get everything I need so I can walk out my God-given purpose and I don't even fellowship with him. Amen. And this is why Christians become weary in well-doing. This is why we give up on our purposes and the calls that God's put on our life. Because we don't have the inner strength and fortitude that we need to do the very thing that he's asked us to do. Because we haven't been in his presence. But I know you are presence people. Amen. I said, I know you are presence people. Amen. You love to fellowship with the Lord. Yes. <laughs> I'll keep giving you opportunities. You love to fellowship with the Lord. Yes. You love to pray at home. 
Let it be a statement of faith if it's got to be. You love to pray at home. You love to worship God at home. You love to worship in your car. You love to talk with him. And as you do, something happens. You get the strength required to follow and walk out his purpose. Let's look at the scripture over here in Matthew 14. Immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get back into the boat and cross over to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Verse 23. Afterward, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, his disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and there were fight and heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, I love Jesus so much. This is my dude right here. He's up at three in the morning. I love that. I'm always up at three. Jesus, identify with this. This is so relevant to my life. He's such an awesome guy. He was up at three o'clock in the morning. Now he was praying, hallelujah. Anyways, he's up at three o'clock in the morning. Jesus came to them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him, they screamed in terror, thinking he was a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. It's all right, he said. I am here. Don't be afraid. And we know the rest of this story. You know, Peter says, if that's you, bid me to come. And Jesus said, it's me. And Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water. And Jesus, he gets distracted with the storm and the waves. He begins to seek. Jesus reaches out, picks him up, puts him in the boat and says, why did you have little faith? We know this happens, but I find it so interesting. And I think oftentimes we don't even look at this or consider it. Jesus was able to defy, defy the storm in this moment, but where did he come from? See, if you're going to defy the storms that come up in your life, you must be a person of prayer. If you're going to defy the storms that come up in your life, you must be a person who loves to fellowship with your creator. These storms, they come for a reason. And the reason they come is to keep you from fulfilling your purpose. And that may be bad news, but the good news is in God, you have all that you need. If you will fellowship with him. Come on, if you will fellowship with him on a regular basis, Sunday morning at church, Wednesday night for midweek, and then all the days and hours in between, if you will fellowship with God, you will defy the storm and fulfill your purpose. Some will say glory to God. I believe that this room is full of storm-defying people. For they know their God and they do great exploits. Right? Just like Daniel, I believe it's chapter 3. Know your God. How do you get to know him? You fellowship with him. You spend time in his presence. So Jesus identified himself correctly. He fellowshiped with his heavenly father. The next thing we see him is that he put God's will above his own. (laughs) This happens. I know, again, I'm the only one. But has anybody ever put your will before God's will for your life? I think lots of times we're really good at consulting with ourselves as to what we want to (laughs) do. but we forget to consult with the one who made us. We're really good at determining our will and then following our will, but we're not so great at determining his will and following his will. I know, just me. (laughs) Praise God. Jesus, he loved to do God's will. And he put it above his own oftentimes. Over in John 6, 38 out of the NIV, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Let me ask you this question. Whose will did you come to fulfill? Even at church this morning, whose will did you come to fulfill? Maybe your parents drug you here. 
I'm just here to fulfill their will. Uh Uh-oh. Maybe you didn't want to come this morning, but you felt it was your religious obligation and duty. Whose will are you here to fulfill this morning? See, because his will, he said, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. But even more so, as the day approaches, gather together more. So that's his will. Whose will are we here to fulfill this morning? Let me talk to the married folks in the room. In your marriage, whose will are you there to fulfill? I felt that in the, hallelujah, just the resistance. (laughs) Did you know in your marriage the problem's not always your spouse? That's happened more than once. And those of you that aren't married, but you're going to get married at some point, this will help you. (laughs) Most of the time, you're the problem, they're not. And even if they are the problem, if you self-correct, then it got 50% better straight away. Right? But in my marriage, whose will am I there to fulfill? If I'm there to fulfill God's will, then I'll have more grace and understanding and mercy and compassion and love. Right? And then my, my marriage can fulfill its purpose. It can be all that God wants it to be, heaven on earth. But that happens by me pursuing his will. What, what about parents when it comes to your children? Whose will are you trying to fulfill? Because the Bible just says they're lent unto you from the Lord. Amen. So I'm not trying to fulfill my will in my child's life. I'm trying to fulfill the will of God. Whose will am I trying to fulfill when it comes to being an employee? Whose will am I trying to fulfill? Well, I'm just trying to earn that scratch. Well, that's not why you have a job. You're there to be light and to be salt. There's a purpose to it. Amen. But if you're just going to try to earn that scratch, you'll miss out on an opportunity to fulfill the purpose of God while you're there. Right? So we have to put his will above ours. Over in Luke 29, 39, 42, Jesus went out as usual on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, followed him. Reaching the place, he said, pray that you will not fall into temptation. So we see him there, again, fellowshipping. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond and knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. See, not only should we be people of prayer, but we should be people of consecration. That should be a prayer we pray all the time. Lord, let thy will be done. Come on, Lord, let thy will be done. Over in John 8, 29, Alabarian Study Bible, he says, He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. What a powerful statement. Can we say that about our lives? I always do what pleases him. And you know what? When you always do what pleases God, your life will mostly be pleasing to everyone around you. Not always, because there are some people who are just full of all sorts of stuff. But as you live to please him, for the most part, your life will be pleasing to those around you. Over in John 4, verse 34, Jesus said this out of New Living Translation. Then Jesus exclaimed, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Now when we look at this passage, we understand that Jesus, you know, in, they're, they're traveling They're going from uh, Judea to Galilee, and they've got to go uh, straight up. And and, and on their way, they have to travel through Samaria. And it's like 104 miles just to get to where they are in Samaria. To go all the way up to Galilee, it's like six days to travel by foot. (laughs) No Teslas, (laughs) no trains, (laughs) no planes, (laughs) no automobiles. They're walking this. 
And, and, and here, they're, they're imagined to be about 22 hours into their journey of walking. And they're in Samaria, and Jesus walks up to this well. We know as we read this passage, the disciples went into the city to buy food, so it's around dinner time or lunchtime or whatever. But they're hungry, they're tired, they're weary, and they're thirsty. And then we come to Jesus at the well with the woman, the Samaritan. And Jesus says, draw me something to drink, for I am thirsty. And they begin to engage and have this conversation. And Jesus takes the time out of being naturally thirsty and naturally hungry to minister to this woman. And then we pick it up here where he told the disciples, my meat, my nourishment comes from doing the will of the one that sent me. Listen, what do we take away from this? We can't get so focused on going from point A to point B that we miss, miss the divine connections in the middle. So you can't get so busy pursuing your career that you're going from home and you're driving to your job and you stop at the gas station and God has a divine appointment, something on purpose to happen at that gas station. See, but Jesus, he put down his desire for some water to drink. He put down his desire for wanting some food because he was tired, he was weary. But this is so cool because he chose to do the things of God. God supernaturally can sustain him. See, some of the students in the room, whether you're in college, whether you're in middle school or high school, see, as you're walking from class to class, there's a divine purpose along the way. And if you just have this singular focus, I've got to get from math class to science class, you might miss what God is trying to do right in the moment. Amen. Amen. So we've got to understand in everything we do, we do the will of the Lord. Parents, I know I've fallen into this trap. I tell you all too much about being a parent. I really should keep some of this myself. But sometimes you're just like, you know, I got to get them to 18 and get them out of here. <laughs> just too much. <laughs> you know, they require too much, Lord. But if I'm, just, if I'm just so focused on from when they're born to getting them out of the house, I miss all these wonderful times of ministry and fellowship in between. Amen, amen. I miss his divine purpose of being a father and being with my children. And we tell people all the time when we used to do that parenting class, and I've told them before, you know, we're busy. And it's, so it's not about the, the, the quantity of time. It's about the quality of time. Yes, yes, Can I fulfill God's purpose of being a good father in this moment with my boys? Singular focus like Jesus had. Right? Recognizing opportunities to fulfill God's purpose on his life around every circle. The next thing and the last thing we'll talk about right now is in order to fulfill his purpose. So what did he do? He identified himself correctly. He fellowshiped with the Father. He pursued his Father's will over his own will, and I believe that's something we can all work on. Amen. And then the last thing, not the last thing, but the last thing we're going to observe today, is Jesus carefully selected those he led into his life. Amen. Now I'm not talking about the crowds that followed him and surrounded him. I'm talking about his inner circle. If your inner circle is not strong, you'll never fulfill the purpose of God on your life. If you've got people that are pulling you away from him instead of pushing you towards him. Jesus, you know, he was baptized. John baptized him. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended him upon a dove. A voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved servant whom I'm well pleased. And then immediately he came up from that place and he was led out into the wilderness. He was there 40 days, 40 nights, tempted by the devil. 
And then after he comes out of that place of wilderness, we see him walking beside the seashore. The first thing he does is he reaches out to these men and he says, come, be my disciples. He chose. Listen to me now. Don't miss this. He chose the people he wanted close to him. And then he was also very selective as he was living his life who went with him to certain places. We know the account of Jairus when he went to Jairus' house to raise his daughter. And the Bible says he only took three. We know he had 12 and then 70, ultimately 120. But the Bible says he only took three with him to Jairus' house, Peter, James, and John. And then we see another example. You remember the transfiguration where Jesus is transfigured and he goes up there and he prays and Elijah and Moses shows up. Again, he didn't take everybody with him. There's some places you got to go in life and you can't get there trying to drag everybody with you. But instead, you need people pushing you, encouraging you, being a cheerleader for you. They went up there and again, he only took Peter, James and John. He was careful and carefully selected who was with him. And these people he chose to be around him, they had his back. Come on now. Do you have people around you that have your back? You remember when they came, we just read it a minute ago, when they came to get Jesus in the garden, what did Peter do? Well, he grabbed the sword. He cut off the soldier's ear. He said, if you dine on this mountain, we all dine on this mountain. (laughs) That is awesome. That's friendship. That's brotherly love. (laughs) These thousand people, they're going to do what they're going to do. Jesus, I got your back. He selected them on purpose. And he was intentional in his selection. Listen to me, you must be very wise who you surround yourself with in these last days. Over in the book of Timothy, you ought to go read it. I believe it's chapter 2, starts in verse 4. It talks about 19 personalities, 19 personalities of the end time people. And all 19 of those personalities, if you see those personalities in any of your friends, the Bible says you should remove yourself from them. It talks about they'll become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, selfish. I mean, there's a whole list. 19 characters and attributes. Listen to me, body of Christ. Yes, you are sent here to help people, but the people you're sent to help don't have to be your closest friends. I will say that again. You've been sent here to help people, but the people you're supposed to help, they don't have to be your closest friends. And you got to be careful who you confide in with your purpose. We all know what happened with Joseph when he told his brothers his dream and his purpose. They stole from him, they stole his coat, They beat him and threw him in a pit, and then they sold him into slavery. Y'all thought your family was bad. (laughs) Now, ultimately, his purpose still came to pass because he stuck with God and he wasn't moved by all those betrayals and hurts, which there's a message in that too. But you need to be, what does he say? Wise as serpents. Right? Careful who you let in your inner circle. 
Because we all need Proverbs 27, 17. There's times when we just need iron to sharpen iron. And you need good close friends. Pastor says it all the time. You need your four crazy friends that when you need something, they're willing to be there to get you to God. And with married couples, we have our spouses. But even outside of that, your spouse is always supposed to be for you. You know, and Rachel, you know, she's always supportive of me. Even when I preach a message and I know I bombed, I come home. She's like, you did great. I'm like, look at you just making stuff up for me. So I'll feel good. You're so precious. But your spouse is always supposed to encourage you. But outside of that, you also need people. Listen to me. This is one reason we have church. Because it builds a community now of believers that are there for one another. It builds a community Right? Where we support each other in our God-given purpose. Where we motivate each other. Because every once in a while, we just need to hear that you can do it. And ultimately, that's God's message for you this morning. You can do it. We hope you're inspired by today's message. If you want to hear more from the Word of God, head over to cwol.org. Check us out on YouTube or any social platform under at Madison. We believe God is working within you, and we want you to know Him so you too can make Him.